Well, good to be here. Um, it must be, I guess it must be over a year since uh, Anne, my wife, and my son Joel were here. We're normally based in Chichester, so actually to be here once again is really good to see you all. So, hi. Um, we're uh, continuing our, our series in, in 1 Peter, and today we're coming to 1 Peter 4, uh, chapter 4. And if you have got a Bible, I know lots of people don't, but if you do have a Bible, it's always good to, to follow through. It will come up on the, on the screen, but I've entitled it Grace and Godliness, but there's a subtitle there, Living for God. And the reason I put that there is if you've got the NIV, you'll see that the heading of 1 Peter 4 says, Living for God. Uh, and we're going to be looking at what that means. How can we live for God? Well, we need God's grace to do that. You know, what does it mean to live for him? How can we live a godly life? How can we uh, live a life like that in a culture which in so many ways is, is anti-God? Well, we're going to be looking at some of those things this morning. So if we turn to 1 Peter 4, um, and we'll, we'll work through it. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, when I was a kid, I would often hear my father say to me, life is short. Therefore, make the most of it while you can. Now, I don't know, I don't know why he'd said life is short, but it may be something to do with the fact that his own father died when he was only six years old, and his father's in his 30s when he's died. It may be because he went through uh, the Second World War. I, I know I start to show my own age here. But maybe because he went through the Second World War, and he saw lots of his peers in their, in their 20s die young. But he would often say that to me, you know, life is short. But when you're in your teens, you, you don't, you know, it's, it's in one ear and out the other. You think, yeah, yeah, sure, Dad, life is short. I'm too busy enjoying life to worry about life being short. Until that is, I find myself now, I had my 69th birthday last month, I find myself agreeing with him, you know, life is pretty short. And especially since my dad died at 66, that makes me sort of living on, in borrowed time on, on that context. 
So I now can agree, life is short. And in this, uh, in this letter, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter talks much about suffering and life's challenges. And time is short. Life is short. Therefore, don't live for what this world has to offer, but live for God. That's effectively what, what Peter is saying in this passage. And, and we'll come across it later on as we go through it. But he, he uses this term, the end is near. And you could translate it, you know, life is short, therefore how are you going to live your life? And it's, it's my hope today that we get a bit of different perspective on how we're living life. And I think there's three themes which come through in this passage that we're looking at. Uh, and the first is that we live for something better. Now what I'm going to do, I'll, I'll keep the passage up there as we go through, because you can pick out some of the key things that, that Peter is saying as, as we work through it. So, the first few verses, live for something better. The problem with living for what this world has to offer is that it has the appearance of offering satisfaction and pleasure only to disappoint. You think, if only I could do this, life would be so much better. And then you find that it doesn't quite work out that way. I, you can sort of lose count of the number of celebrities who live life totally in a hedonistic sort of way, living everything they can for, to, to enjoy life, only to find that their lives, too often, they die young. I mean, I'm sure I can think of loads of names, but uh, people like uh, um, Amy, Amy Winehouse, as an example, if that means anything to you. She was a singer who got who, drugs and addictions, and she died really, really young. Then, obviously, there's, there's Robin Williams. I used to love the film Hook. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have, have seen Hook. It was one of my favorite films. Robin Williams, incredible character, seems to be so full of life, but he was desperately unhappy and killed himself, died relatively young. Uh, Freddie Mercury, the list goes on. People who live for this life so easily, it seems to me, that you'll hear them say, I live for everything, but actually there's an emptiness inside. And that's the problem we, we find in living in this world. It actually disappoints. It doesn't really satisfy. Uh, why does anyone give themselves to that sort of hedonistic lifestyle, which Peter himself talks about? It's this difficult passage here, isn't it? it it's, it's not easy to read, you know, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, uh, lust, debul- I mean, this is, this is pretty hard stuff. Why does anyone want to live like that? Well, the answer is clear. We all want to live for pleasure. I want to live, I want to enjoy life. Don't you want to enjoy life? I want to enjoy life. I want to live for something which is, which is good. And the reason so many celebrities or what have you, or so many people in the world live the way they do is because they want to live for pleasure. And that is actually not wrong because God created us to enjoy life. The problem is we can find that we're looking in the wrong direction to find it. And uh, I was listening to uh, a Christian podcast the other day and they're interviewing this guy and uh, his name is Joshua Broom, and he's now a pastor in Iowa in the United States. But this is what he says. I was one of the most successful adult film stars in the world, says Broom. I obtained fame, wealth, and traveled the world all to find that none of those would fill the emptiness in my heart. I believed the lie that if I made money, I'd be happy. I traveled everywhere I wanted to go. I had all the sex I could have ever imagined, 
But once I had it all, my life fell apart because it amplified the sorrow and the emptiness I felt inside. Then I found Jesus and his life transformed. We want to live for pleasure. We need to find where to find that pleasure, which is long-lasting. And that is, living for something better can only be found in Christ, as Joshua Broom found. And, and, and Peter doesn't pull his punches in this passage. He goes straight to the point. And like Joshua Broom, you know, he used to live in, people live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing. Uh, this is not a new 21st century phenomena. It's actually right there in Roman culture, back at the turn of the, uh, the, 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 the millennium, in right back in, in the year dot. And ever since man has walked the earth, this has been an issue. Uh, my, my dad, talking about my dad again, he used to say, you know, you think your generation discovered sex. Uh, actually, it wasn't true. Every generation has tried to live for something which is meant to be fulfilling. And I'm sure you are, we all are, we want to live for, pressure, uh, for, the, for pleasure, but we need to find where do we get that pleasure from. Across the room today, I think the majority of us who will be believers, uh, I trust, um, and if you're not, my, my cry to you would be, you know, pleasure can only be found really lasting pleasure and joy in Christ. And we found, as believers, joy in living for him. As we sing and worship, so many of our songs are about the joy of knowing Christ and coming into his presence. But at the same time, we are constantly bombarded with a culture which says, look here to fulfill yourself. Look for this. Look for that. This is where you'll try find uh, true fulfillment. And we all battle with it. I battle with it. You know, I, I'm amazed when, how subtly we can take on the things of the culture which tell you, you'll only be really happy if you get a bigger house. Or you'll only be really happy if you go for this product or, or for that product. It's around us all the time. The culture is saying, look after me, 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 and that will give you true pleasure. But we find that's just not the, not, not the case because so many actually end up empty inside. Why is there such a problem with mental health in our, in our nation? Surely it's only because the things which people are looking for don't satisfy. The thing that does satisfy is lasting peace with Jesus. But even us as believers find that we are uh, challenged by these things and it can be a daily battle. I find it a daily battle. I look out of my window and look next door at this incredible garden that the neighbors have got. And I start thinking, if only our garden was like that. Wouldn't life be so wonderful and fulfilling? Do you, I mean, do you ever do that? You know, the, 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 the cover team looking just beyond what you've got. I am so blessed in so many ways. Why is it within me I'm looking for something else to try and satisfy? Only Jesus can. And all of us are tempted to, to sin and look for comfort for outside of Christ, but we will not find it. So, how as Christians can we live godly lives? What does Peter have to say in this passage about that. And it starts with the very first verse there. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Now, I believe you covered suffering last week. I think Johnny was talking about suffering last week. But there's two aspects to this. What does that actually mean? What does suffering mean in the context of living a godly life? Well, the first, we, we did it this morning. We celebrated communion and what Jesus had done for us on the cross. Christ's suffering on the cross dealt a fundamental blow to our sin. 
Christ's suffering on the cross dealt with the fundamental problem that is us wanting to live for ourselves. And when we came to him, our lives were turned upside down. We became a new creation. And, and Peter himself, we covered it and actually right at the early start of this, this, um, this series. Uh, 2.24, you can't see it very clearly there, but it says this. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We need the grace of God to live godly lives. We cannot do it. Fundamentally within us, there's this desire to live for ourselves. So God had to do something radical, send his own son, Jesus, to die, to suffer in our place, to live a perfect life, suffer in our place, that we might know victory over sin. Fundamentally, that's how we can do it. We can't do it in our own strength. Jesus had to take our place and suffer for us. And that is God's amazing grace. We're incapable of living godly lives in our own strength. Absolutely, completely incapable. I can tell you, for 69 years I've tried it and I've failed. But if I daily yield myself to the Holy Spirit and trust Jesus on the cross who suffered in my place, there is the ability to live a life pleasing to God. You cannot please God without faith. But faith in Christ is transformational in the way that we live. His wounds on the cross enable us to be healed. That's what it says here in 2.24. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, in the context of this verse, what that means is that Jesus' suffering that he took in our place, his suffering dealt the fatal blow to sin, which enables us to live godly lives. What we need to do is to believe that truth. What I need to do is to believe that truth. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 6, and uh, verses 9 to 11. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is, weigh up the facts. Look at the facts. Look at what Christ has done for you. Look how he suffered for you. Look that he took the problem, your sin, my sin, upon himself on the cross. Weigh up the facts and now believe it, you are dead to sin. It's something which God has done from the inward. Culture puts things on from the outside. It's all to do with feeding the body, making me you know, content, all on the external. What God has done is on the inside. He's transformed us from within when we became Jesus and put our faith in him. Weigh up the facts. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how Christ's suffering, first and foremost, can enable us to live godly lives. We can't do it in our own strength. It just becomes a set of rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But when we understand who we are, that we are a new creation, that we're new beings. In that way, we're able to live a new and godly life because we're alive to God in Christ. But in dying to sin, we're made alive to something else. We're made alive to Christ to live in a better way. And John 7, 38 says, Whoever believes in me, this, this again is Jesus, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, 
Rivers of living water will flow from within them. What God has done, he's done on the inside. And joy flows up from within. Living for Christ, really, it really is better than anything else. And I found the the older I've got, the more I realize nothing in this world can satisfy. Only Jesus can really satisfy and bring a lasting peace. But the theme of the letter, and as you, you covered last week, is not just about what Christ has done. It's about personal suffering as well. And I, I think this, uh, these first few verses, yes, it's true, Christ has dealt the, with the main issue by suffering on our behalf. But we all experience suffering. And so the next aspect is suffering for Christ shows a desire to live for him. Now, what do I mean by that? How we deal with difficulties in our lives shows us where we look for the source of our comfort. It has to do with understanding that our biggest problem is always going to be battling with our sin, doing what we want and not what God wants. And even though Jesus has dealt with the core issue, fundamentally transforming us to enable us to have power to overcome sin by dying in our place, we are still tempted on a daily basis. And I think we live in a culture more and more and more which tries to draw us away from finding fulfillment in the eternal in Christ and says, look to the immediate to find your fulfillment. And that's the battle that we are constantly under. If you were in, um, we've, uh, I've been to Africa a few times and in contexts where, you know, they're just su- struggling to, to make a meal for the next day. And so you are living in a, in a way where you're thinking, I'm not going to, this, this world hasn't got a lot to offer. It totally changes your perspective when you realize actually what the, the things around you don't provide you comfort. And you're thrown into something far more, where can I find my fulfillment? And that's why you so often find that those Christians who are going through tremendous difficulty in other parts of the world, they are finding their contentment and their peace, not in this life, but in a relationship with God himself. When we're willing to suffer for Jesus' sake, it's like the very nerve center for our sin is severed in our lives, and we become more Christ-like. Now, you might ask, how can personal suffering ever be a good thing? How can you ever find joy in that? Well, it's, it's one of these weird paradoxes that throughout Scripture, you see that joy is found in the midst of hardship. That has definitely been our own personal experience in our lives. I would say that on numerous occasions, whether it's been ill health, either amongst ourselves or our our kids, whether it's been having to move home at very difficult times, whether it's been financial pressures, whatever the situation has been, when things have been hardest is when my relationship with God has been the deepest. I was talking to um, uh, a person in in Chichester just uh, the other week, and this person sadly gone through a marriage breakup, and it's been pretty traumatic for her. And uh, things have started to settle down, and life's getting a lot easier, and she's really happy about that. It's oh, so good. But then we're talking, she said, but you know what? When things were the hardest, that's when I found the closeness of Jesus the deepest. That's when I found my relationship with God the more full 
And that would definitely be my own experience, that when things have been really tough, that's when it's put life into perspective and saying, and Jesus has come the closest. If you are going through suffering right now, and I'm, uh, you may have touched on this, as I say, last week, but if you are going through hardships right now, see there's two ways to handle it. You can either blame God and run away from him, or you can trust God and run to him. And when you do the latter, I can assure you, you will find he comes, and he comforts, and he gives peace. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your pressures, God can use those things, and he can come close and give you fulfillment, which this world just cannot give. That's not to underestimate the, the challenges of difficulties in our lives. Trumps, I know that. I know times when it's been so hard and you think, oh God, where are you? But in those moments, God can come and bring you a fulfillment which goes way beyond anything this world can offer to bring comfort. So, suffering is not always bad. And Jesus suffered for the joy set before him. When we're going through suffering, it helps us to put life into perspective. And then there is this promise, and it says in John 16, I've told you these things, again, Jesus speaking, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Following Jesus will be costly, but he does give us this wonderful assurance that he's overcome the world, and in him we will have peace. There's not one of us who's not going to go through hardship or difficulty in our lives. Not one of us. And some of you may be going through really tough times right now. But I believe God wants to give you grace in order to see a different perspective. God, you can have purpose in this suffering to draw me closer to you and realize that actually the only thing worth living for is you. So, first theme coming through, Peter is saying effectively, live for something better. Live for Christ. Don't live for this world. And then verse 7 says, the end of all things is near. And that that leads to the the second theme coming through, which is to live for the future, not to live for now. The end of all things is near. And there's a phrase that is uh, often used in the New Testament, which is uh, the last days. Um, Here it's the end of all things is near, or the last days. But As soon as Jesus rose again from the dead, it's like he ushered in the the last days. For the last 2,000 years, we've been living in, effectively, the closing age of the history of this earth. Now, as I said, when I was young and my dad said, you know, life is short. No, it's not. I've got the whole whole life ahead of me. And then you realize, actually, do you know, events around the world make you realize that life is very insecure. And uh, there's no guarantees. People have been living with this expectation the world is going to end. Christians have been living with that for, for generations and generations. Ever since Jesus rose again from the dead, people are saying, oh, he's going to return soon. He's going to return soon. And then world events come. There's earthquakes and there's famines. And, oh, Jesus must be returning soon. It's still not happened. In the First World War, there were some... Uh, 20 million dead and 21 million wounded, and Christians were convinced that Christ would return in their lifetime, and he didn't. And then following the First World War, there was the Spanish flu, and it's estimated up to 50 million died. 50 million across the world. Surely Jesus is going to return again soon, and he didn't. And 
then there's the Second World War and the Cuba crisis and so much more. And then what's happening today, we're hearing constantly on our news, you know, things are pretty tough. Uh, the world's going to end because there's global warming. You know, we better do something about it pretty quick because you don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, there's wars in Ukraine and other parts of the world. We look at what's going on and Christians will be saying, surely, surely Jesus must return again soon. But when we see these things, what are we supposed to do? Well, I don't believe we're meant to go up on a mountain and waiting for Jesus to, to return. I'm, I believe it's meant to focus our attention of what we're living for. We're told that Jesus could return any time. Therefore, live godly lives, knowing that one day he will return. So whether he returns in uh, my lifetime, or whether it's hundreds of years, or even thousands of years to when Jesus returns, one thing we are assured, he is going to return. And whether he returns in my life, or whether I die first, one thing is clear, the end is near, live for him, live for God. And when he does return, the wonderful hope is no more sin, no more death, everything's going to be made new. God will dwell with man on a new heaven and a new earth. And that is a future so to look forward to. And I can assure you, as you get older, you start to think about it more because your body starts to wear out. You find things don't work the way they used to work. Uh, and you find aches and pains. And uh, I've just this week started taking medication. Uh, I'm thinking, oh, dear, I've never had to take medication in my life. And you start to think, I'm looking forward to the day when I get my new body. Uh, but it's going to, I'm really looking forward to it, but it's going to happen. There is a future to look forward to that we have. And as believers, we, are the most, we should be the most content and at peace. Because although this world is passing away, we have got a future that Jesus will return. And there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. He's going to dwell with man for all eternity. We've got eternity ahead of us. Our lives are a speck in comparison to the eternity that awaits us. Isn't it worth living for something which is not going to decay? Something which is not going to wear out, either my body or the world we live in. But Jesus is going to come back and everything's going to be made new. And that is something worth living for. And uh, we know that this is not all there is to live for. We know that there is this glorious future. And uh, Paul in Philippians says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's not to say that we can't wait till we die, but it does mean either, whichever way we live, let's live with this hope that Jesus is the one to live a life for. He's the one to find our contentment in. And uh, the question then is, um, how should we respond as a result of what we see in the culture around us? And if you just look, look at verse 4, it says this. This is talking about unbelievers around. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And there's just a few points I want to raise here. The first is, don't envy unbelievers. Steve, when you get up in the morning and look at the neighbor's garden, don't envy them. That's what, that's what God keeps saying to me. Don't envy them. But when you see people who seem to be living such amazing lives, and you... You've got them all around you, I'm sure. Friends who seem to, everything goes well. Don't envy unbelievers now because they will have to give an account when Jesus returns and when they see their maker. We all will have to give an account. And 
we will all face that sense of judgment. If we're not in Christ, it doesn't look good. But if we are in Christ, we've got a tremendous hope. But I want to hear the well done of God when I'm there. And so therefore, how I live does matter. It matter, I mean, if you go into a whole subject of rewards, but it does matter in eternity. The way I live, yeah, my salvation is, cu- is secure, but when I muck up, I, I don't want to keep mucking up because Jesus died and suffered for me. I want to please him. I want to love him. I want to live for him. So don't envy those who have just got this life to live for. That's not the way to live. Let, let's live as those who are putting our trust and hope in Christ. It's very easy to look at those around us who seem to have so much more. And, uh, you know, they may heap abuse on you, even in terms of, some of you may be going through, in terms of suffering, suffering for the fact that you're a believer. You may have an unbelieving partner. You may have issues at work where you're ridiculed because of your faith. Don't don't envy them, because they too, they don't have to give an account. And then it says in verse 6, For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they may, might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What that means is that we preach the good news of the gospel, and people have an opportunity to respond. The reason we love to get the message out there is because actually knowing Jesus really is good news. It's good news now, and it's good news for the future. I want those in my neighborhood to know that Jesus is alive, that he can change lives, and that he's the best thing worth living for. I want them to know that, and that's why we preach the gospel. But there's a judgment to come when we see God face to face. And for those who have put their trust in Christ like we have, there's this tremendous assurance and security. We will be with him forever and ever. On the cross, Jesus had there, there are two, two uh, thieves either side. One, one of the accounts of the gospel says that both the, the thieves um, cursed. Now, I think, I think it was, it's Luke which says, then one of them said, may I come into your kingdom? Uh, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What happened, even on the cross, that thief was cursing Jesus, but then he saw the way that he was coping with his suffering, and something happened during that time where he said, I am going to put my trust in you. May I come into your kingdom? And... Uh, Two things happened. One was with Jesus for all eternity. The other was away from God for all eternity. We've got a great message. We want to get that out there, that Jesus changes lives. And then there's a, a better future to come, which I've already mentioned. A motivation to godly living is that there's something better. And uh, I want to be able to stand, as I say, before God with that wonderful assurance that he's going to say, well done, Steve. I sometimes think he's going to say, well, you mucked up there, didn't you? Um, do you, ever, you think, I think that? Do you, do you think, the number of times I think, well, you're going to say, what about that, Steve? Yeah, I know. Uh, 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 yeah, I know. I know. I know. But I did believe you, Lord. Yeah, come on in. Um, that, so, but I want, to, I want to be there to hear Jesus say, well done, well done, well done. That is a great motivation to living a godly life. And another aspect of this is that we may well suffer, as I've mentioned, because of our faith. And if you've been ridiculed because of your faith, there can be a temptation to really hit back. Don't take revenge. The temptation to, to jump at those who, who, who abuse us, no, God is the judge. If you are in a situation where you feel so rattled by what's happening to you, of the injustice, take it to God. 
because there's going to come a day when he will judge. We are called to forgive. And when you're wrestling with that, when you're wrestling with how you handle these relationships, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Keep allowing the Spirit of God to, to work within you so you don't take revenge, but you leave it to God. He's the one who judges. Then finally, as we sort of draw to a close, the third theme, which has been reflected right the way through, is living for the glory of God. Um, I'll just read it through. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the way we're living is not for ourselves, but to bring glory to God. It's not about me, it's about him. That, again, is total odds with the culture around us. In our culture, it's do whatever you can for yourself. Make yourself happy. Have some me time. Have a bit more me time. No, God says, whatever you do, do it to bring glory to God. And there's a few things just to pick out from these last few verses. The first is, be alert and sober so that you can pray. And Peter uses that word sober three times in this uh, in his letter, at the beginning, here in the middle, and at the end. Uh, be of sober mind so that you can pray. Living sober mind doesn't mean just stand back and wait for Jesus to return, but live in continual relationship with him. Being aware, if you like, weighing up what are the facts, weighing up what the culture has to offer and what he has to offer. Be sober about it. There's not a lot that some of the things which the culture comes to offer us, which is good. Be sober-minded. Weigh it up. So we see the nonsense of some of the things around us in the culture in which we live, and we say, no, I'm going to be sober, trust you, God, and pray and seek you that I might live a life which is pleasing to you. Next, love each other. Above all, Peter says, love each other. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Jesus said the greatest commandment, love God, Uh, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we put the love of God and love for one another first, it covers over all loads of other sins. What does that mean? Well, it means if you love God, you're not going to do all the other things anyway because you'll want to please him. I think in this context, the passage also about suffering and injustice, it, it also means loving and forgiving those who are against us. That's what it means to love one another. You know, the, again, the mindset of our culture is to, to make us angry. But perhaps, again, it's because I'm getting older. I don't, so many things wind me up these days. I walk in here and I got wound up by that clock being so crooked. You know, <laughs> why is it the culture sort of does that to you? But it does, I just get angry at things. Uh, I'm being honest. Uh, but I have to deal with it. We've had a conservatory built about five years ago, and... It's got constantly problems with leaking roofs. And uh, I opened the, the window and it crashed down the other week. And I thought, I've had enough of this. And I, I, I wrote this, this, uh, this stinking email saying I wanted it sorted out. And then I started preparing for this and looked about the, the culture making us angry. And I thought, the conservatory, that's a pretty, pretty harsh email. I immediately 
I immediately got my phone out and said, I'm so sorry for the tone of my last email. It's the culture which makes me angry. No, I didn't say, <laughs> I didn't say that. But I am aware that it's so easy to find you're getting angry about things around us. So don't. The answer is forgive and respond. Our love for one another is not based upon whether we share the same interests. Our love for one another is based upon our unity in Christ. This family here of, of, of in, in the Bogner site, you're going out for a picnic. What are you doing? It's you're showing your love for each other. You've come from all sorts of different backgrounds and circumstances. What binds you together? Christ. Our future hope together. Quickly, offer hospitality. Be graciously hospitable. Love the way uh, we do that in our life groups and we, we spend time together. It's so good to do that. That's what working it out is in practice. WhatsApp groups, I don't know if you do that. We've got some excellent WhatsApp groups in our own life group. And they're continuing praying for one another. It's, it's, it's reaching out for one another. Serve one another. Uh, using the gifts that God's given you, lots of different gifts in this site. Use each one for the glory of God to serve one another. Some of you who you think, what have I got to give? I've got so little to give. No, God's made you the way you are, and you are needed because the gifts that you've got are going to bless others. So don't envy others. Serve in accordance with the gifts that God's given you. And then the last one, it says there about speaking. Uh, if speaking, then as the words of God. I think that probably refers to people like me standing up here right now and speaking. Um, it's very easy to, when you're, you're preaching, to look at your own life as I did and think, oh, I fell short there, and I fell short there. And it's also easy, therefore, to try and um, lessen, lessen the blow of what you're preaching. We believe at Grace Church to preach the Word of God, what's in the Bible. And what's in the Bible isn't always easy. Sometimes it's pretty tough, but we want to ensure that what we preach is not what we think the culture wants to hear. We preach the very words of God, and in preaching the words of God, they can be life transformational for you and for me. So whatever the gift, however God's cr created you, whatever he's given you, let's do it for the glory of God. If the uh, band could come up as we draw to a close. Um, so as I conclude, I'm going to finish with this. Life is short. Let's live it to the glory of God. So I'm aware, let's, let's just stand together. I'm aware that there may be people here today struggling with all sorts of things. There may be different things which have affected you as we've, we've gone through uh, this part of the passage. You may be suffering uh, as a result of your faith. You may be battling with certain areas of, of sin. And you think, I want to overcome. I keep on failing. I believe that God wants you to, to know his presence and that he doesn't condemn, but he graciously draws you close and says, come to me. I can change you. I can meet with your needs. And as we, as we worship together, I, I'd love us just to be open to expecting that whatever your circumstance, God can break in and give you hope. We want to live for his glory, don't we? Let's live for the glory of God. Let's sing.